Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersupportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. Hi there and welcome to episode 91 of the Ski Podcast. Thanks for joining us, listener. Today we're going to be chatting about Alec Arena in Switzerland, the Altitude Comedy Festival in Austria, the art of boot fitting and the art of snow forecasting, as well as going behind the scenes at the UK's 2023 ski test. Now, I'd like to start by thanking Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the podcast. If you follow me at Skipedia on Twitter, you'll know I had a great trip last week to Andermatt and the Electorina. Uh, you'll also know I travel by train. And I just want to chip this in. I know I do go on about it a bit, but it is very easy to do. Uh, to Switzerland, it took me 10 hours from London St. Pancras uh, to Andermatt, platform to platform. I've written up my journey on Ski Flight Free, so at skiflightfree.org, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can have a look at that. And, you know, I encourage you to travel by train if you want to. Now, my name's Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Firstly, I'm delighted to welcome Janine Winter from Winter World Connect. Hi, Janine. How are you? Hi, Ian. Yep, very well. Thank you. And yep. also, I'm delighted to welcome Nick Russell, founder of snowforecast.com. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi, Ian. I'm really well, thanks, and good to meet you. Excellent. Now, our regulars, Katie and Al, will be on as well, but they're both traveling today. So we've recorded those segments separately. Let me start off by asking my traditional question to my guests. When did you last ski or snowboard? Let's start with you, uh, Janine. About two or three days ago. <laughs> right. OK. I'm, I'm you, quite, the way you quite were... lucky I'm in resort. So. <laughs> right. The way you were thinking about it there, I was thinking, oh, it could be could be years. But two or three days ago, just remind us remind us where you are. Uh, I'm in Caprun in Austria. So uh where the Kitzsteinhorn Glacier is. Okay, and what were the conditions like when you were up there? Well, when I was there, actually, it was uh, it was really nice. It was a beautiful sunny morning. Uh, no tourists up yet, so it was nice and quiet. It was it was brilliant. But that was right before the sandstorms hit. So yes, it's kind of a different story right now. It's looking much yellower. My husband's actually just been up and lasted about one run. I think it's uh, unfortunately not the best skiing conditions right now so well I, I mean I blogged about this yesterday on uh, Skipedia and we've seen some very very strange uh, pictures uh, and that's been all over the place and I mean even here in Brighton yeah. we've had sand landing on the uh, uh, car uh, overnight but in the Alps there's this orangey browny yellow uh, hue that's that's varied across the Alps and it's these uh, strange conditions not unique they do happen from time to time where the sahara you have this uh, southerly uh, wind coming through bringing sand from the sahara and dropping it off all over the alps yeah it does look very uh, strange i saw some really good videos uh, taken in some places where the obviously the top of the sa- uh, the snow where the sand has settled looks orange but as you yeah. see someone carved down through it the white underneath comes out. It looks like these uh, yeah. videos have been filmed with an amazing filter, but this is no filter, hashtag no filter. So very strange conditions. Yeah, it's it's certainly hit us as well. It's definitely a pinky kind of dusky tinge in the sky. <laughs> and what about you, uh, Nick? When did you last ski or snowboard? The last time was actually at the end of January. 
And um, I went with three of the other guys from the snow forecast team and we went to Davos. In true fashion, we we uh, faffed about the decision of when to go for about four weeks. And then the <laughs> day before we booked the flights and uh, then we decided where to go when we actually got to the airport, just based Did on you? snow reports. That's what we do when we don't have the family in tow. That's how we move. And uh, yeah, Davos looked pretty good. And we got there. And fortunately, it was the week of the World Economic Forum that was cancelled due to COVID. So we literally had the place to ourselves. It was quite surreal. Excellent. Okay, maybe that's why there was such a, probably some really good deals and hotels when uh, you know all those guys who are expecting to be there suddenly uh, uh, cancelled. But I like that idea of spontaneity. Quite hard to kind of bring spontaneity into into most people's uh, lives, but it's very good for us, I think. Particularly after all of that pandemic, you know, we weren't able to do anything to just suddenly decide you're going to go out and and pick somewhere and and i guess coming from snowforecast.com you're able to <laughs> rely on some good uh, you know predictions as where you're going to be able to find the best snow yeah we we have made some howlers in the past like going all the way to japan and ending up with rain but <laughs> right. that was partly our fault for being quite late in march but uh, no our, our week in davos was fantastic and uh, we met we can always meet a lot of people we're connected to because we've been around a while one guy was called Tony Galliano, and he's a ski guide. And he's been actually advertising with us for about 18 years. And as soon as we got out on the first day, he showed us the best places to go. So we we had really good value for money. Excellent. Well, that sounds great. Well, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned I was in Switzerland uh, uh, last week, and it's quite a poignant trip for me because the 13th of March was actually the day I came back, but I was in Switzerland at the time. And two years exactly to the day previously, I just arrived in Andermatt to the news that all the lifts were going to close. This was this period where, you know, the whole of the world, but particularly Europe at that point, was going into lockdown. The Swiss resorts closed uh, their lifts on the 13th. The French resorts followed the uh, following day as I took my train back to the UK Paris and and France was closing in around me and so it was it was really reaffirming and uh, just incredibly encouraging to be out there again you know at a time when skiing is almost (laughs) back to normal uh, you know, a few changes uh, have uh, happened. In fact, while I was coming back from France, uh, in fact, the day after they changed their rules about the past sanitaire and you don't have to you know, prove mm. you've been vaccinated to be able to ski now. Normally, these are sort of things I go through with Katie in the Battleface travel update. But it's so nice that we're nearly uh, back to normal. We're not actually going to talk about uh, all the rules uh, this week. We're going to talk about some of the realities. So let's um, let's have a listen to my chat that I had with uh, Katie earlier. Uh, great. Well, I'm joined today by Katie Crow from Battleface Travel Insurance. Hi, Katie. Hi, Ian. Good morning. Uh, great to have you back on the uh, show. Obviously, uh, one of the great things about travel at the moment is it's becoming significantly easier for everybody, not just the uh, skiers, but I think um, you know, a few developments. But the broad uh, picture is that it's just easier to ski and to travel all over Europe and the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, exciting times because all remaining COVID travel restrictions have been dropped across the UK from last Friday. So They've scrapped the passenger locator forms and the requirement for all unvaccinated arrivals to get tested, which is absolutely brilliant news. 
Yeah, it makes it a lot easier for people going back and forth. And I came back uh, through France the day before uh, they dropped their pass sanitaire uh, or a pass vaccinal, which means you now no longer need to show that to go into restaurants or, or to go skiing, which was a, a bit of a, a block on things before. So that's really good. So I thought that, you know, with things getting easier, it might be interesting to talk about some other aspects of uh, insurance and travel insurance today. And you mentioned a while ago the cost of a helicopter rescue. And I know you did a survey into that uh, previously. I wondered if you could give us a, a kind of insight into that. Yeah, that's right. So in November last year, we, we surveyed over 2,000 Brits looking at our feelings towards travel insurance and estimating the cost of being airlifted from the slopes. And actually, it was incredible to see that the majority of people actually really underestimated the cost of being airlifted off a mountain by nearly £7,000. They guessed an average of just over £3,000 when it's actually close to £10,000 to be airlifted off, off a mountain, um, which is really staggering insight, really. It's uh, immense. I mean, I certainly would have been uh, amongst the people who guessed it would be uh, would be lower. But I guess the point is that if you do have the right insurance anyway, then that's going to cover that. That's right. Well, interestingly, as many as 25% of respondents have, have never taken out specific winter sports cover which is really worrying. Do, do you mean because 20, hold on? Do you mean twenty five percent of people who'd taken a ski holiday didn't have ski cover? Yeah, and that's just bizarre. I, I I can't imagine. Well, I don't know. I just can't imagine it. Who would go on a ski holiday without having ski insurance? Although I don't know what to cut to cut costs. Yeah, potentially, or maybe they hadn't really thought about it. You know, and the sort of impact of not having relevant cover in place and what it would, would would mean to them you know accidents as we all know unfortunately do happen on the slopes and the underestimation of the cost of airlifting shows just how important it is to be adequately protected on, on holiday you know i noticed i was having a look at the Battleface website uh, earlier you can actually get insurance while you're out in resort with Battleface, can't you yeah absolutely so if say you land in geneva airport and you haven't uh, you've forgotten to take out insurance you can take it out but it doesn't kick in for 24 hours, you need to then wait 24 hours before the actual insurance policy will, will kick in to action. Okay, I mean, that's quite interesting because um, I think uh, I was out in resort um, in Cromontana when we first spoke. I was like, suddenly realised that I didn't have the right uh, cover because at the time, I think um, the Foreign Office was advising against travel. And that's how I came across uh, Battleface in the first place, because that's not really an issue right now. But circumstances, as we know, can change. And that's another uh, element of the of the battle face uh, cover that it, it does cover you, even though you know FCO might advise against travel. That's right. Yeah. So all battle face policies cover destinations, including FCDO advisory destinations. And obviously, if you take out travel medical, you can then add on winter sports cover, which covers you for equipment as well as hired equipment. It covers you for. Um, cancellation, medical and emergency expenses, hospital benefit, personal accident and baggage. Okay, cool. Well, so, you know, listener, yeah. if by chance you happen to be, <laughs> you know, about to take a holiday and you don't have your ski insurance yet, pop along to battleface.com and you can get some now. Uh, Katie, you mentioned in the green room that you've got some really interesting research about when accidents are most likely to occur. I wondered if you might be able to come back uh, maybe next time round and give us some more uh, insight on that. Yeah, I'd love that, Ian. That'd be great. All right. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for today. Thanks for having me again. So lots of people are out uh, in the Alps. I mentioned I was in Switzerland. Uh, Al uh, isn't here right now. He's just been out in Kutai in Austria. And this is uh, his report from there. Plus, we have one from Stephen in Glencoe. 
I was in the Innsbruck area of Austria in the Tyrol from the 5th to the 12th of March. On Saturday the 5th we were skiing in Stubai and it was pretty chilly, not far off double digits below freezing. But this meant that the snow was in fantastic shape. Off piece we could still find fresh lines. Of course there were some tracked areas but pretty much all of the snow off the groomers was soft, light and just a joy to ski. And then the groomed terrain was in amazing shape. And then from the 6th through the 12th, I went skiing in Kutai, which is Austria's highest ski town at 2,020 meters. Now the altitudes on its side and at the start of the week, it was still cold, so minus eight in the morning. Uh, it did warm up through the day then a bit. However, through the week, it got a lot milder, a lot more like spring. Irrespective of the day though, on those north facing slopes, so under that top Finstertal reservoir, then the snow was just phenomenal. You could still get some fresh lines, still get fresh tracks. And even where it was tracked out, it was still soft all through the week. On the sunny side, off the Hochalter side, then off the skiers left, there was amazing spring riding to be had. And across the board, thankfully, due to its altitude, then they've still got decent snow depth on piece. So ranging between 75, 78 centimetres on the lower slopes, up to a metre plus on the higher pistes. So the carving on the groomed terrain, oh, it was just incredible. Snow was really reactive really grippy there were some polished areas in places so off that home route those steeper areas at the very top then that got a bit polished a bit brushed off by the afternoons but as long as your skis were in decent condition not a problem at all and if you came off that lift and turned right or just go to the left as you're skiing down then the snow conditions down at the langenthal reservoir were awesome you could pick your line down through the trees really good and then just a hike back up into the town or a quick skin up and you could lap it i mean the conditions were outstanding especially when you consider they haven't had any fresh snow since the 26th of february hello this is stephen spears with a quick update on the snow cover at glencoe mountain in scotland i visited on saturday the 12th of march that was my eighth day of the season there as we go into march the temperatures start to rise and Unfortunately, the left over in the east has closed Glencoe Mountain uh, and Nevis Ranger is still going strong on the west coast. Uh, the top runs have got good cover of deep snow, a wee bit icy to start with, especially in the spring run, which is a steep red run. Uh, the flypaper was open, it's now safe to open, so we're seeing some action on that. Uh, down in the lower and the mid runs, there are some bare patches, but the runs on Saturday were still complete. Although I have heard since then that one or two of the, the really low runs uh, have got broken, but there's still a path down uh, on the plateau run, as we call it. Snow did fall on Saturday, uh, about two inches, uh, and that was a welcome, refreshing top up. Uh, and more snow is forecast uh, for this week. Hopefully the weekend ahead we'll see the new Glencoe Base Cafe open, replacing the older one which was destroyed unfortunately in a fire on Christmas Day 2019. Uh, and looking a wee bit further ahead, uh, the following weekend, 26th-27th of March, uh, the Mighty Co Festival featuring an introductory introduction to ski touring and backcountry uh, is on. So that will be a busy weekend up at Glencoe. So plenty to look forward to, including some new snow on the way. So uh, I mentioned I was out in uh, Switzerland and uh, I'm going to cover that in the next episode because I want to be able to do it justice and there's so much to cover here. But right now I'd like to focus on the uh, Electra Arena. Now I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Have, have either of you, uh, Janine or Nick, been to Electra Arena? No. 
It's right down the far end of the uh, valet. I actually came there from Andermatt direction uh, by train. It's been so well designed, uh, the connection from the train to the mountain. I came into a town called uh, Fiche, and the train station has the cable car right above it. You just walk out of the train, go up a couple of escalators, hop into the cable car, and you're on the, uh, on the mountain. I stayed in a place called Egishorn, a hotel uh, Egishorn there, which is quite small. There are only like a half a dozen kind of buildings uh, there, but it's pretty high, 2,200 meters. The whole of the area is kind of along the south-facing side of the uh, mountain. And there's three uh, resorts, really, uh, Fischer Alp or Egishorn over to the left, Betmer Alp in the middle, which is much more of a sort of bigger town. Uh, overall, and then Reader Alp over to the left as, as you're looking at it uh, uh, from the valley, let's say. But it's high. All of those villages are uh, 1,800, 1,900, 2,200 or more. In fact, it was quite strange sleeping at 2,200. I haven't slept that high for quite a while, apart from, um, I guess, refuges. And uh, my sleep was a bit interrupted, but it was really lovely just to be in a, you know, a hotel in a, in a, in a kind of tiny area. And I guess the key thing about Electra Arena and the reason it's called uh, the Electra Arena is you have the Electra Glacier around the back, which is actually the uh, longest glacier in Europe. They used to say it was 23 kilometres. Sadly, they've had to bring that down now to uh, uh, 20 kilometres. But there's several viewing points in the area where you can look down on it. And it's uh, well, you have to do that if you're going there. I'd say the area is probably suitable most for families. They've got lots of fun areas uh, for kids, you know, little race areas, mini park, a bigger park as well. The pieces are incredibly wide. The conditions were, were good on piste. It was all good. There were no thin spots uh, at all. I mean, obviously, they could do with some more. I think there hasn't been any significant snow for about a month now. They might have had some in the last uh, week. Really nice uh, area and very kind of unpretentious. It's um, more of a, um, well, a less expensive place to go in terms of Switzerland. You know, when I was in Cromontana, you know, Prada were their sponsors. You can see the Prada logos on all of the, um, the lifter pylons, whereas the car manufacturer Cupra, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they were the kind of main sponsor in Electorina, uh, much more sort of down to earth uh, type of uh, setup. And that's probably summed up in the in the dish that you can buy called cholera. And uh, I'm just going to uh, bring in a little uh, interview I did there. So we're sitting in a beautiful restaurant right now. I'm sitting with uh, Jasmine from Electorina. And bizarrely, I've just ordered a dish called cholera. <laughs> You want to explain to me, Jasmine, what this is? Yeah, exactly. Well, the dish we are eating right now is called cholera, and of course you won't get sick after eating it. Um, well, basically what we're eating is a covered um, vegetable pie with leek, onions, apples, and cheese inside. And it's called like that because, um, well, it was invented during the cholera pandemic, and these are basically all the things you could store for a while in your cellar during the cholera pandemic when you were not so, so I think we're all we're all familiar yeah. with some kind of a pandemic where you're exactly. not allowed to go out and get exactly. anything. That was a situation at the time, and people were just yeah. using what they had available, right? Exactly. That was about 200 years ago. Yeah, yeah. about 200 years ago, but now we can still get it uh, exactly. uh, here. So, well, let's try it and see yeah. how we get on. <laughs> so, actually, off air, just said Nick suggested, you know, maybe they'll do a COVID. Uh, uh, pie in the future. Let's hope not.
not. I don't really want to remember <laughs> this period at all. But just to sum it up, you know, Electorine, it's a big ski area. It's over 100 kilometers. I really think it's much more suitable for families, someone who wants to try Switzerland. It's quite easy to get to from Geneva. If you really, if you wanted to fly, you can get the train there very easily. You can get the train there overall, as I did. But also, if you look quite closely around the website, there's some very good deals. On Saturdays, all children under 20 ski for free, which is a really good deal. So if you time your trip, the reason they do that is most people come in and out on a Saturday and they're trying to get local people to ski as well. You need to think about that in your planning. And then also, they give you free skiing from three o'clock the day before your lift ticket starts. So if you organize that really uh, cleverly, there's actually have night skiing one evening as well in Betmoral. So you could um, turn up, uh, ski from three until nine for free and then start your lift pass the next day. Make sure you have a Saturday integrated in there as well. So the kids get a you know, free uh, lift ticket those days as well. And so you know, that's how they're trying to kind of position themselves a, a, a little bit uh, differently. So there you go. Electorina, I had a really good time there. I will go back at uh, some point. I'd love to do the ski touring over the glacier. I wasn't able to do that because it just didn't fit into my uh, trip. But before I went to Switzerland, you know, I wanted to know what weather I could expect. Uh, I typically turn to snowforecast.com. Uh, uh, to be fair, I believe it's the number one ski website in the UK in terms of traffic. And we're lucky enough to have the founder with us today, Nick Russell. Uh, Nick, like to bring you back in. When when did you set up Snowforecast? Um, I'm actually one of three co-founders, Ian. And we set the site up in the late 90s, which is so long ago, I can't remember the exact time. But it originated from... Rob Davis. So the three, there's two Robs and myself, and we were at university together in South Wales, and we we're all geoscientists. That's our background. So making maps of the earth. But because we're all very keen on outdoor sports and backcountry snowboarding, um, we used our map making skills to create forecasts like nobody else had done. But how, so, I mean, how does that idea come about? You're all sitting around and thinking, oh, we could do this better than whatever's available at the moment. Well, it was Robert Davis. He was actually living in Wellington, New Zealand at the time. And there really weren't anyone to do things better by. There were just local weather forecasts for towns and cities and centres of population, but nothing really specific for the mountains. And also, as we all know, the higher you go up a mountain, the weather changes, it gets colder, you can go through cloud and back into clear sky. And there weren't any forecasts that catered for that level of detail that people on the mountain really needed to plan their trips. So so I'm not a programmer, but how do, how do you go about trying to, I don't know, con- convert a bunch of data that's presumably publicly available into snow forecasts yeah so our weather model is a global model that's designed for aviation and it's from the united states from their national weather service so you can take that but it's not in any intelligible format you've got to decode it and interpret it and that's really what rob was very very good at is taking novel sources of data and combining them to give a product that essentially helps everyone do what they want to do. And for us and for our users, it's finding out the best places to spend our time in the best possible snow. And uh, what we do is take that global weather model and we combine it with a global terrain model of the surface of the earth that's also publicly available. That's derived from a 
mission that one of the space shuttles did a long time ago. <laughs> right. And we look at where that weather model intersects the ground surface. And then we can tell if it's raining and it's zero degrees or below, then that's likely that precipitation is likely to become snowfall. You make it sound very easy. And I have to say, from my experience of using the website, it is remarkably accurate. When we were in uh, Cromontana at uh, half term with my family, the way the site works, if, uh, if listener, you haven't looked at it, uh, you know, if you, you can pay for membership and we'll come on to that uh, later. But if you don't pay for membership, you've you got to kind of get a limited window as to how far into the future you can look. We were using that to kind of work out what it was going to be before we got there. But when we arrived into resort, you can then get an hour by hour uh, forecast and it was amazingly good at saying when the weather was going to come in and when it was going to change which to me is just remarkable i mean i, I know uh, i don't know the bbc etc can give you a satellite thing but an hour by hour how does that how does that happen <laughs> well when we started it was six hour windows and not so accurate because mountain weather forecasting is notoriously a tricky science but as supercomputers have become more powerful and there's more and more data sources that can be integrated with models, the, we find that the, the same core product that we use to create our forecast has got better and better over time and also gone further into the future. So we're able to break that down into hourly windows, as you say. And so you can use it in two ways. One is to look at the long range and full members can see all the way out to 12 days get a rough idea of where you want to go. And then when you're there, you can actually look on the day and say, right, maybe this morning's going to be a bit of a whiteout, but this afternoon it's going to get colder and clear up. And that will be the best time to go to those particular elevations. But the other important thing is that no weather forecasts tell you what's happened in the past. And we archive absolutely everything. And so if you are planning to go somewhere, say next week, you can look at what the conditions have been in the well, that's a realistic time scale, one or two weeks beforehand. And we call those hindcasts. And you can see whether it's been warm and raining and there'll be a sheet of boilerplate ice under the snow or whether it's been cold with lots of layers of, of fresh snow. Right. I mean, th that is good. I have to admit as well, I've written, a, you know, I write content for various people and I've used some of your historical uh, snow depth uh, uh, data, which is on the site as well for helping to um, you know, build blog posts. I mean, you said you started in the late 90s. I also started a website in the late 90s, which was, uh, you know, natives.co.uk. And I think one of the advantages I had, which probably you had as well, was first mover advantage. We were the first people in that space because there weren't really that many websites around around um, and whereas you know mine was in a bit of a niche it, it, it did okay but your uh, snowforecast.com has basically gone stratospheric I mean how, how many can you give us an idea of how many visitors uh, you get and how many resorts you cover etc yeah we cover just over 3,000 resorts and they are global and because we really built the tool for ourselves we cover a lot of small places that many people have never heard of and that's the beauty of it really is that you could say right where shall i go at easter and you could choose all the big high resorts but you could also look a little bit deeper at some of the smaller places that will be less crowded and possibly have better conditions when we started the site was just for ourselves so it was hosted on a little server in the university and <laughs> I believe it was just a map. It was a map of a volcano in New Zealand. And 
words kind of seeped out and people started using it. And then we did a map of the Alps and it became more popular. And then we had to move it off the university server because people were starting to look at us in funny ways. And we started <laughs> renting some space in a, a server farm in London. A couple of years later, we found that we were regularly burning out hard drives. And we thought that this company aren't very good. They haven't got very good hardware. But it was actually the volume of traffic was getting more and more. And the hardware wasn't up to it. So we had to keep upping our game in terms of where and how the site was hosted. And that kind of gave us an inkling that at that point, it could become something that we could move towards a more commercial product. Whereas before, it was always free and just for us. It's... It, kind of grown and snowballed, pardon the pun. And the current usership, I believe, is around 13 million users globally each year. Yeah, and that's pretty amazing. I mean, I don't actually know how many you know active skiers there are in the world, but it sounds like a decent proportion of them are looking at the uh, website. I mean, how do you host it now then for 13 million users? It's, it's no longer uh, in some little room burning out hard drives, right? <laughs> no, we've actually got um, racks of servers in Europe and also in the United States. So we split them depending on our traffic and depending on the loads. And uh, we've got some very clever technical people that work for us that are able to manage all that. So hosting is not a problem anymore. That that's great, and obviously at some point, then you know, going from being just a map of a, a volcano in New Zealand was that Ruapehu? Yeah, started off uh, with that. You know, you added uh, you know more resorts. You found out you're getting a lot more uh, traffic, and at some point, it moved from being kind of a hobby to a business. I mean, how do you make that transition? You know, you said you were students. Uh, you know, do you have to give up something to take it on full time? Um, well, we're actually, we've got a company, the other Rob, Rob McDonald and myself, we've, we have a core business called Teradat, which is a, a geophysical mapping company. So we do things like mineral exploration and environmental site surveys. Um, and it's not that dissimilar from snow forecasting in that we're outdoors, we're gathering data and we're presenting it as maps to people who aren't necessarily specialists in that area. Really, we structured it using software that runs by itself so it automatically generates the content and so there was really very little to do other than use the site and test it now we've got a bigger team and we've got people that write for us we've got uh, other sources of data other than forecasts like live data webcams etc so there's a bit more management that needs to be done but still we've got a really good core team core team that can keep that Excellent. But you've commercialized it as well. I mean, you're making money out of it, whereas before it was, uh, I mean, assume you are because there's adverts on there and you can buy a membership and things like this. That's right. Yeah. So started off as free. And actually going back to what you said about first mover advantage, we had a really big advantage with Google and other search engines because those were the days in the early 90s where you could optimize a page with keywords and you'd see where you rank the next day. You get crawled <laughs> overnight and you say, oh, we moved up two places, keep going like that. We worked our way to the top of all those old hotbots, InfoSeek, Excite, search engines. We've kind of re retained that authority and we come up number one on Google pretty much for everything, which is you know, a huge advantage that we wouldn't yeah. have if we necessarily started the business in this current day. 
having worked in uh, in uh, search engine optimization over effectively all of that period that you're talking about uh, those those days in the past when you could just make a very small change and make an immediate difference are amazing now it's uh, a lot more uh, uh, complicated right i mean that's really interesting and in terms of uh, you know the the membership then i'm not a member i have to uh, confess i've you know i've used the kind of free features but if you did decide that you wanted to be a member uh, you know what would you actually get for that the main thing is to, it extends the tools so they become more useful for planning so it unlocks the one hour detail um, you get forecasts out to 12 days instead of six days. You can access the past weather, so you can look back any period of time. I think we go back about 15 years now, but that's uh, really usefully one or two weeks if you're planning a trip. Snow history, that's something you mentioned that you looked at. So we've been archiving data and you can look at the best times of year and how many bluebird days for example a certain resort gets and start to do comparisons and really tweak your trip for a future year and then as as well as those weather tools uh, you also get a lot of discounts that can more than cover the, the £3.99 a month membership such as uh, Intersport they're one of our biggest commercial partners and they give fantastic discounts on ski and snowboard hire uh, we've got accommodation partners, insurance. So uh, yeah, I mean, I had a look at the page, uh, and they're obviously yeah. a, a lot uh, in there. Well, you know that that is uh, brilliant, Nick, and I love to hear stories about people who you know started off uh, you know with a passion, they've turned it into uh, a business. And, you know, it's a very exciting uh, story. So, listener, you, you're probably using Snow Forecast already. If you're not, it's snow-forecast.com. Uh, go and have a look, and thanks for sharing that with us, uh, Nick. Thanks. Now, this must be our entrepreneurs episode. As the guest today, Janine Steeple, has also recently founded her own website, uh, which is Winter World Connect. And we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more. But you are, in my mind, anyway, a master boot fitter because uh, you know we first met when you were working in the UK at uh, Profi. And I'm delighted to say that you fitted my ski boots, uh, which I'm still using uh, now. Very comfy they are, although uh, you did make me worry a bit when you told me I had uh, concave shins uh, at the time. I think there was a proper, properly a technical word for that, wasn't there? So well, verum, tibial verum. That, there yeah. you go, that's there what it was, tibial, tibial verum. But, you know, before we move on to, um, you know, Winter World Connect, let, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background, uh, Janine. How did you get into skiing? I mean, obviously from the UK, I was one of the original uh, dry slope skiers. I think I started at the age of 11 went to like a birthday party and then you know caught the bug started doing the the ski club and then the race club and then then just got kind of hooked on it that way really where, where about whereabouts was that what what slope were you on i was on chatham that was my my closest slope right okay um, and how long is chatham 200 meters oh quite a long one as they go yeah, it's quite, I, I think it used to be third longest i think it's changed a lot now but uh, in fact i was surprised at how many more there are now but uh yeah at the time it was one of the biggest and so that was your introduction to skiing and then yeah. you know somehow you know you went from being like a keen skier to becoming a boot fitter how does that transition work so there's no plan there <laughs> basically ended up doing my my first season when I was 21 uh I went to the to New Zealand for my first year planned to go for six months and uh you know, set up a couple of uh, interviews before I went and ended up working as a rental technician over there. Loved it, as everyone does, and then keeps going. So uh, I think it was after the first couple of years, basically, that I 
they kind of saw what was going on in the boot fitting world. So, you know, it's a little bit more complex, there's a little bit more to learn. Uh, I've always kind of had the, the interest in anatomy. Yeah, it's just something I was really interested to learn. You know, you could do so much more with it. It's, it's kind of, you're always learning. So, yeah, it was just a, a skill that I was really keen to kind of get into. And I was going to say, yep. I really got into it in the States when I, I moved to the States. So um, the sh- shop I worked in there was uh, the boot doctors. So I was just quite lucky that that was what they specialized in. <laughs> Right. Okay. And so you start. You, you developed your boot fitting skills, and now you live out in uh, in Caprun. Um, and recently, you set up a, a new uh, website called Winter World Connect. C- could you tell me what that's about? I kind of had the idea just since I've been working in the industry. There's various gaps that I can came across along the way, and I was just trying to think what could I do to kind of you know help the industry, make it a little bit smoother for both employers and for skiers. So I kind of split the set the website into four sections. So part of it's creating a, a network of stores, basically. So the goal is to, to get a network of stores worldwide so people can see what services are available, exactly what they can get and where. It's just to make it easier. You know, people can plan easier. They know where they can, say, get their boots stretched or they know what they need to do before they go and they know where they can get their skis rented. They know where they can get the skis serviced. So that's that section. And then the second part of the website is all to do with tips. So just to make it their experience a little bit easier, if you like, um, you know, especially people starting in skiing, they don't know any of the basics. Um, and, you you know, working in a shop, you commonly see people just, you know, making s- silly mistakes that they'd have, so you know, a much better experience if someone just kind of give them this little bit of info from the start. So just things like wearing the right socks, how to buckle a boot, you know, what to look out for with skis. And I just wanted to share some of that information. So I'm kind of trying to regularly share top tips just to to educate people a little bit more, you know, things that I've learned that maybe then they have a better experience and maybe then we can see a better return rate to the sport because a lot of people try it and then hate it and they never try it again. So I know there are people like that who yeah. try it and hate it and I find, you know I, I find that so firstly sad you know that that has been their experience and uh I guess it's also like really um disappointing because you know we want as many people yeah. to come into sport as possible and you know I had mentioned it in a previous episode that you know a lot of people they do um maybe tend to assume that their boots are naturally going to be uncomfortable but it actually doesn't have to be like that at all does it and I guess what is you know particularly when you're talking about there about how to go about doing up your boots you know uh, uh, advice uh, on that sort of thing can be really useful because if people understand that a little bit it's something we touched on on the show before with uh, Al you know no one should have to ski in pain no I mean that's it you you don't need to there's there's a lot of options out there's a lot of boots out there and I think it's very hard if if you have no knowledge about ski boots to to find the right one so um you know if you can visit a boot fitter who's got this knowledge about every last you know width and the the flex of the boots and the liners and they're gonna be able to provide you with a much better fit and then obviously a better experience cool okay well if people want to uh, know more they can go to uh, winterworldconnect.com 
yeah yeah that's it yeah cool all right that's brilliant janine thank you uh, very much we're going to move on to um al uh, now who is our equipment uh, uh, guy he's not here today because he's on his way up to scotland uh, to do some ski touring testing up there and last week he was out in kutai we heard his snow report uh, earlier he tells us uh, just now about how the ski test works right hi there al good to have you back again how are you going I am good, thank you, and I am very good. I've just been in the mountains, so yeah. Yeah, you well, we, you missed our little chat at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you know, shall I ask that question now? When did you last go skiing or snowboarding? <laughs> yeah, last week I was in Austria for about nine days, and it was fantastic. It was definitely nectar for the soul that week. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'm really pl- uh, pleased to hear that you got out there again. Obviously, the situation there for you is a bit different, probably from what you would normally be doing, because this was the ski test it's uh, designated as. It's not just skis that you test, but this is where all the different manufacturers and the brands come together with next year's equipment for people like you, the experts, to uh, to test and cast their view on it. Absolutely right. There's a, yeah, skis, boots, accessories, snowboards, snowboard boots, helmets, goggles skins poles almost you name it and there is some product there in some form or other and remind remind us where you were i was in kutai in austria which is uh anecdotally austria's highest ski town just over two thousand meters so the snow was great really cold at the start of the week and warmed up but yeah it was fab okay excellent uh, and so how does that actually work then i mean you've got a pair of skis you ski on the same slope again and again and again is that how it works well, Kutai is pretty unique in that you've got a range of angles, a range of aspects, and then you've got a load of easily accessible off-piece terrain. So kind of goes, taking a step back, so there's an organization called the Snow Sport Industries of Great Britain, the SIGB, and they look after all sorts of things. They take care of trade and the retail members, media, travel, all sorts of things. It's a base, basically a, a hub of all the snow sports trade in the UK. And they one of the things is they organize a trade show called Slide which happens in January typically. And then they have the ski test, which this was, and it moves around the Alps. So last time it was supposed to be in Pila, that got cancelled last minute and we all shot up to Scotland. But this time it went ahead kind of post-pandemic in Austria and the restrictions in Austria lifted the weekend that we got out there, which was superb. So there's a whole stock of skis. You're saying there's lots of different areas that you can ski. Presumably if you're testing skis within a certain category, then you must need to try and replicate the run as best as you can every time so you know what you're comparing. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the challenges. So if it starts the snow partway through the day or partway through the week, then you need to plan that in. It was pretty crisp, clear all week. So on the first day, I did all of the all-mountain product. So you ski the same terrain, some off on piece, off piece bumps, trees, and then on the Tuesday, I then did piece products. So there's a fantastic long slope with loads of different angles, really well groomed. So exactly as you state, you replicating the conditions for the skis to take out as many variables as you can. And you ski in the same boot wherever possible. So when you're testing skis, you're just testing skis. And then when you're testing boots, you might test that boot on various skis. Obviously, the combinations are going to make things more complicated because you've got a certain pair of boots and a certain pair of skis. There must be different boots that are better suited to different bindings, perhaps, or does that not Yeah. Totally right. So if you're going to ski touring stuff, because we've spoken about touring stuff previously, and you're on pure pins, so you've got pins either side of the toe and then two little pins that go in the back of the boot, you need a boot that's going to work for that. And then if you're on a hybrid touring binding, 
then it needs to meet the Turing norm, so certain steps at the front and back. But those kind of boots won't push piece performance skis so well. So I had, of my own, I had four pairs of boots with me for that week. On the final day, I was testing boots from other brands, yep. keeping the ski constant. Gotcha. Okay, so you're not testing the new boots at the same time as testing the new skis. So you've no. got that consistency within it. I get it. What about other products such as, you know, helmets and clothing? How do you go about testing those? Is that simply a matter of trying it on? Or do you take that out into the field as well? Yeah, so for a lot of the time, I was testing some touring clothing. So when I had that on, then I would go touring and it goes skinning um, and skiing and hiking. And then for other things, you know, if I've got, um, whether it be a visor helmet or a new goggle, maybe it's an OTG, so over the glasses, I'll try it on with those things. And I ski in it. Yeah, I don't know how many pairs of goggles I got through, eight, 10 pairs of goggles, numerous helmets <laughs> and uh, 40-odd skis. So and And how do you actually kind of, retain your your thoughts your comments you just have to remember it as you're going down or when you get to the bottom of a run are you making notes you know straight away each time the well the sigb has test cards which are generally number based with a little comment and then i have my own test cards for each product and that has a lot more uh, kind of descriptive text in there and between those i can then pre- give a pretty good uh, summary of what the product is like so after i've skied every ski i will write about that ski absolutely right and the same with the helmet same with goggles same with whatever it may be um so it's quite an intense week but it's a really fortunate position to get on some of the next season's product before other people absolutely and and how many people are out there you know who attends this type of event in terms of brands so there was about 18 20 ski brands most of those have boots there was about half that in terms of snowboard and, and then accessories and things a lot of retailers attend so the big retail chains as well as a good proportion of the independent snow sport retailers in the UK. And the beauty with that is that they've been on the product. They've already made their orders, so that's done. But it's about getting their staff onto the product. So when they're advising their customers, you know you're getting real first-hand advice about that product. And then there's media. So there's my, myself, and I represent different organizations, whether that be me, whether uh, Ski Kit Info, whether it be The Telegraph, you, The Ski Podcast. And then there's things like Four Line and On Snow and various media organizations. So, yeah, it's, it's a real mix. And do you ever find yourself, you know, queuing up? There's some a certain type of ski that you really want to, uh, you're waiting to get your chance to get onto it. And there's a bunch of other people ahead of you in the queue. It has been a problem more so in the past when a great number of people attended so the numbers were a bit lower this year just the time of year that it was for some stores that maybe they didn't get as many staff out there maybe some media didn't take as many staff out so it wasn't as bad but because it i'm so busy when i'm there if there's a queue i'll go to somebody else <laughs> right, <laughs> not exactly. i have a whole list every day of what i'm going to test so i can just move along my list and get a different product Cool. Well, you know, it, brilliant uh, for joining us today. Thanks very much. You haven't been able to join us live because I know that while we're recording live tomorrow, you're on your way up to Scotland for your uh, next set of events. And I think you're going to come back and tell us about those. But hopefully we can talk about all that 22-23 kit. Maybe as the season finishes, you can come back and give us a run through on some of the new developments and the new trends. I would love to do that. That would be ace. Cool. All right. That's brilliant, Al. Thanks very much for that. Thank you, Ian. And just a reminder that while it's lovely to own your own kit, I tend to hire when I go out to the outs from Intersport. Skiing, to rent or buy? That is the question. Buying is nice, 
You can put the stuff on in your bedroom and practice your moves. Who doesn't want to do that? But the equipment can be expensive and you might not have even tried it first. Are the reviews trustworthy? Then you have to get your stuff to the mountains. You're going to need a bigger taxi, mate. You'll most likely require an oversized taxi. There's the airline baggage fees and the hassle of dragging it all around with you. Or you could rent. It's easy to pick up in resort and it'll work out cheaper than the luggage, the airline fees, the oversized taxi, let alone buying the equipment. And you can swap and change your equipment as much as you want. You can take as many skis out of the shop as you wish, depending on conditions. Go snowboarding or have your own ski test. Worried about painful ski boots? Get your feet scanned and if the first pair doesn't fit, keep swapping them until you find the perfect pair. And if you love this stuff so much, of course we'll sell it to you. But why would you do that when you can get brand new skis again next year? Join the sharing economy. Just Google Intersports Ski Hire. Uh, also earlier this week, uh, I had the uh, chance to talk to Marcus Brigstock and Andrew Maxwell, uh, comedians who are organising the Altitude Comedy Festival, which is taking place just down the road from you, Janine, in Meyerhofen later this month. Uh, let's hear what they have Andrew, to say. Uh, can I start with you? I know some people got out of shape during the last couple of years with a pandemic on. A uh, key question for you is, do your lederhosen still fit? Uh, unbelievably, yes. They're quite generous. There's quite a generous <laughs> flap at the front. Uh, <laughs> they are Lederhosen for those, for those who don't real, uh, don't know the, uh, the Altitude Comedy Festival is in the Austrian Alps and we've been there for a very long time and the town keeps gifting me ever more elaborate Lederhosen which I then oblige I mean we're talking the latest one they gave me they're worth one and a half thousand euros like it's like wow. very yeah 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 like i have to say that the latest set you've got are the most fetishy looking ones you've had <laughs> aren't they aren't they they're, they're black leather they're obsidian black dark as my yeah. soul yeah. And, and the value presumably goes up after you've worn them as well right oh absolutely yeah that's that's how the art world works uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so i basically in tribute to austria uh, the very warm, friendly, but also practical people of Austria. I wear the Lederhosen for the entire wor- week of the festival. I wear them around the town. I wear them while snowboarding and I wear them on stage. Everything I do everything except for shower in them. In what, fairness to the resort, I think their generosity on recognising that Andrew wears them for seven days straight <laughs> without a break. I think it's really smart on their behalf to go, yeah, I think we'll give them a new set. They, they welcome us with wide open arms. And when I say that, a lot of our time there is spent not just in Lederhosen, but naked. It, <laughs> it's compulsory to be naked in their spa situation. Yes. And you'll often you have really mm. detailed conversations with members of the audience and organisers of the festival. Mm. Um, we're, we're just everything out. Everything. <laughs> Alice, Alice Clare. If you go in St. St. Anton, if you go to the wellness centre there, there's big signs on the way in saying no clothes beyond this point. You've got What's amazing about Austria is you've got to be naked in the sauna, but you're also allowed to have a glass pint in the sauna with you. So it's the exact (laughs) opposite of British and Irish health and safety. No penises (laughs) and plastic glass. (laughs) No, no, no. No, No, please, of course, if you're brave enough to get your todger out in the sauna, you can definitely have a pint, or you want grown up. 
Have a real pint with a proper glass you can smash against the wall and fight your way out. <laughs> the, only, the only thing we have found is that for those of you trying to drink a pint of milk, it can yeah. be difficult in a sauna, but good luck. Yes, enjoy. Yes, it's a sign as well. We, it's an underground sign. You know that feeling, especially like this year, it will be the biggest of all because I haven't been because of the pandemic for two years. When you first get to the top of the mountain and breathe that in and, and see the view and everything, it it lifts your soul. So we've always just been passionate about that. And then the kind of the jamboree through the night is it, it's 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 I would say the greatest week in any given year that I have. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. I think it, all of our listeners would uh, certainly relate to the idea that the mountains lift your soul. As I'm sure you all remember, we are, of course, on a ski-based pod. There is two mm -hmm. types of mountain valley from your geography history, uh, your, your geography. There is the V-shaped valley, which is forged by a river, the fluvial V-shaped valley, and then there's the U-shaped uh, glacial valley, which is where the actual town of Meyerhofen is down at the bottom on the flat of the valley, a wide flat valley so and we always do altitude in the spring so the town is a it's hot it's like a british summer it's it's light it, you know every day is sort of 20 21 22 degrees so you can have a sunbathing holiday if you want and then you go up and up again in the two ski lift systems and you get to the top and you're back in a winter sport holiday so it's it's a twofer another crucial element to that the, to the flat valley base is that those who are um, half cut can always get home because, because it's flat. They're not having yeah. to deal with steep, icy terrain to get back to the hotel. Who, who's the best comedian that you've seen on skis or, or a snowboard? Who, are there any naturals out there? Well, I tell you what, who is, I mean, and he obviously, he looks like a ripped Adonis and he's, he's very pleasant and handsome, which all, makes it all very, even worse. But Joel Domet, he's come out to altitude yeah. a good few times just before he kind of really broke big in the world of you know mainstream tv presenting and whatnot but he is fast he is really fast it's really a shame that they didn't find a way to carry on making uh the cannonball run that was, <laughs> that was <laughs> but after three years where it was when davina mccall looked straight down the camera and went beth tweddle um, gold medal winning Olympic athlete will not be competing today having broken her spine <laughs> I think at that point the insurance people were like okay Ooh, we're done here yeah. but I loved it do you know I was on the jump I was trained by Olympic athletes to do the sports that I have loved since I was a kid you know I did skeleton bobsleigh I did two-man bobsleigh speed skating speed skiing in the full rubber outfit with the fins and everything um downhill slalom and obviously the ski jump itself now the ski jump I don't know if Ian have you been off a ski jump uh yeah I've actually visited that set at Kutai before and I've seen okay, that, yeah. that that jump and it looks yeah. pretty small when you see it on TV, but when you see it in real life, it's quite significant. <laughs> yeah, mate, I have never been more physically frightened than I was doing that. I I once sailed from um, Norway to Greenland on a on a climate research um, sailing boat, uh, and the journey took more than twice the time that it was supposed to. We got stuck out at sea in a Force Nine gale. There's nothing there. And that was nothing compared to sitting at the top of a ski jump, knowing that when you stand up, your feet are locked into metal tracks 
There's no way of stopping once you stand up. You're going off the end of that thing. I've never been more terrified in my life. I really enjoyed uh, talking to Andrew and Marcus. And if you'd like to hear the full interview, it's available as a special episode, which you can download from wherever you download your podcasts or listen to it at theskipodcast.com. So listeners, you will know that the Paralympics have uh, recently finished. Team GB did uh, pretty well. I think their goal was seven medals and they ended up with six medals. Millie Knight, who I interviewed on the podcast a little while ago. And if you're interested to hear more, there's a complete episode with her and her guide, Brett Wild, uh, picked up a bronze, which was great. I was also very pleased to see uh, Ukraine uh, did so well in the medal table. They were uh, second overall, and we don't tend to delve too much into politics there, but I just found that very encouraging. I also want to do a shout-out for Jasmine Taylor, uh, the British telemarker. She has had a brilliant finish to the season, uh, picked up uh, podiums, uh, three podiums uh, overall in the last couple of races. Uh, And also to Charlotte Banks, didn't quite work for her at the Olympics, but she uh, did uh, finish top in the uh, snowboard rankings for the season. And uh, Mia Brooke, who also had a really strong uh, end to the season. She's only 15 as a snowboarder uh, and she will be moving up a, a level next season. So we can look forward to uh, seeing uh, how she progresses. Thanks to everybody who voted for us, if you did, in the uh, Sports Podcast Awards. So yeah, uh, voting is closed now. So we'll find out by the next episode uh, how we got on. We'll see what the public think, but thanks very much if you did vote for us. Another thing you could do if you want to support the podcast is give us a review. Uh, And if you're overseas, I actually don't see those for some reason on Apple. So just drop us uh, an email, theskipodcast at gmail.com. And to be honest with you, I'm always interested in what listeners uh, think. So just send uh, send me through your thoughts. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Peter S. He shared on Facebook, said Ian's a great ambassador for our sport. Really enthusiastic. Thank you, Peter. Uh, it's not all take, 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 though. We have some stickers back in stock. Uh, try saying that fast after a Jägermeister. If you'd like to plaster some over the next resort you go to, then drop me an email with your address. And you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Janine. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Ian. Good to chat to you. <laughs> and Nick, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Ian. And finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.